Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. I'm Pearl Sanger. And I'm Joe Holland. On this episode, as part of our focus on US politics and policy, we speak to Ense Ufot. Ense is the CEO of the New Georgia Project, the organization largely responsible for turning Georgia blue in November and, perhaps more importantly, delivering the two seats in the Senate which Democrats needed to take control of Congress. We discussed how they did it, the challenges they faced, and what we can and should expect from the Biden-Harris administration ahead of the crucial 2022 midterms. Are we ready? Yeah, here we go. Hi, Nsid. Thank you so much for coming on the Progressive Britain broadcast. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. It is, it is. We're really excited to speak to you. To get stuck in straight away, can you just tell us a bit about yourself, tell our listeners where you were raised and maybe what motivated you to get involved in politics and organizing and civic engagement? Yeah, so I'm an immigrant. I was born in Nigeria and raised in Southwest Atlanta. Um, And so, you know, when my mom who worked not one, not two, but three jobs uh, in order to hire an attorney um, for us uh, to, you know, take the exams, take the test, become a U.S. citizen. I was responsible for making sure that we um, passed the citizenship exam. And one, she was not going to embarrass me because uh, <laughs> I was pretty sure that I was going to pass. Um, but in that process of preparing my family to pass the citizenship exam, um, you know, I really became intimately familiar with the promise of America. Right. The promise of America and the rights and responsibilities as they were laid out in the Constitution. And so when we start thinking about, you know, a government of and for and by the people, I wanted to make sure that not only like were black Americans considered the people, but that me and say my family uh, were also uh, considered, right? That I very much am a patriot. Um, I love this country. I believe in, um, again, the what our, the rights and responsibilities that were laid out in the constitution. And um, I can't stand hypocrites. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, 
began my career um, working in corporate law, then moved into labor and employment, then moved into politics. And it was always sort of trending towards this idea of making America live up to the promises that it had made to her people, but to the world. That's a real positive American story. Um, I want to ask about November and January, because for us in the UK, I mean, we we fanboyed and fangirled over the US election for months leading up to it. And we were obsessing over it, watching NBC, ABC or CNN constantly, 24-7. And the same was also true for the Georgia runoffs, the Senate runoffs in January. So we just, I just want to know for our listeners, from your perspective, what it was like. Um, in the run-up to the November election and in the run-up to January on the ground in Georgia and what it was like for the new Georgia project um, in the run-up to those two elections. How was it different? How did you approach them differently? It was nuts. <laughs> like, there's no other way to explain it. Um, you know, on the run-up to the January election, and I remind people that it was nine weeks, right? Which in for people with parliamentary systems of government where who call elections, it's not that big of a deal, right? That your the election timeline, for example, in the UK or in Canada is a lot shorter than it is. I mean, basically, people have been trying to get Donald Trump out of the paint since he was elected in 2000. 2017, or uh, elected in 2016 and inaugurated in 2017. So um, that's four years is a very, very long election cycle. Um, But I think that um, in the run up to November that it started to get real for people. I think that what we also witnessed and lived through was the disinformation campaign. Um, and the ways that it has an impact on young people, um, but also people of color, um, that it was super clear that the president and the Republican Party writ large did not intend on winning based off of their ideas, that the only way that they were going to win this election is if they cheated. And they tried their damnedest, but they failed. Um, I think for the New Georgia project, you know, we were in the middle of a pandemic. One, two Black Americans, and particularly Black Georgians, were being hospitalized at a rate that was twice as high as the dominant society and dying at similar rates. And so we were super mindful about you know, exposing our staff and our volunteers to COVID unnecessarily mm-hmm. on the one hand, but on the other hand, high quality face-to-face conversations is the number one tactic that we've used to move people to action, right? So anyway, after a lot of consultation with our public health experts and with our board and with our staff and our volunteers, we decided to get on the doors. Um, but we also, you know, started to try to figure out how to organize in the virtual world. So what I mean by that is, um, are you guys familiar with Twitch? Yeah. Um, So Twitch is a streaming platform preferred by gamers. It's like YouTube for gamers. When we reached out to guidance counselors and high school principals and parents to say, hey, man, what are are your 18-year-olds? What are they doing? How are they learning about the election? They were like, I have no idea. They are on Twitch watching other people play video games all day. And it was like, wait, so are we. 
<laughs> we, should, <laughs> we should figure out a way to do our civic engagement work on Twitch. So we did. We partnered with some streetwear brands. They gave us 50 pairs of the hottest pairs of sneakers to come out to drop this year or to drop in 2020 in the US. Um, we brought esports players, so professional video game players. These kids are 17, 18, 19 years old who make millions of dollars a year playing video games. Um, but this was also going to be their first election. They also have very strong opinions. Um, we brought them all together for our first Twitch to vote activation. We registered 9,000 uh, people to wow. vote in one day. Um, wow. So then we did Twitch to vote again on November 3rd on election day. And we had half a million unique viewers on our Twitch channel. Um, 500,000 people tuned in. We brought in young people who acted like roving reporters. So we sent an 18-year-old with a camera and a microphone to find another 18-year-old who was waiting in line to vote, to be like, hey, it's your first time voting. What's your story? Right? We also brought in Dr. Mae Jameson, who is like the first Black woman to travel space, um, to talk about, you know, why the damage that has happened in the Trump administration um, with yeah. the space program and what it means for our future. Um, we brought in tons of rappers uh, who came with their get out the vote message. And so, yeah, it was fantastic. It was awesome. Beyonce's mom, uh, Miss Tina Knowles, joined no. us. They're from the South, right? And so talking about people, talking about Black voters, and talking about how critical they are in this moment. Um, I mean, you will hear me talk a lot about race because it's one of the lenses that we evaluate problems, but also develop solutions. 71% um, of white Georgia voters voted for President Trump. And he still lost. <laughs> you know what that that is incredible i i had heard that you were using twitch but i didn't it's one of those entities where it's like i've heard of it but i don't really understand what it is mm -hmm. but it kind of leads me into what i what i was wanting to ask you about about uh, in regard to cash okay so we know we know that republicans have traditionally they have way more resource cash resource than democrats right we know that democrats are usually outspent at every election and we know that republicans threw so much cash at the ads in the run-up to january i mean january first of all it's the first time i'm talking to you so hi and congratulations hi. um what an incredible result i mean just Unreal. It's something that, you know, we dared to hope would happen. Mm. And it was just incredible. But um, because it was its own special election, um, for British audience members, special elections are kind of like by-elections. Um, because it was its own spe special election, there was, it had its own focus, right? Mm -hmm. So even more resource cash resource was thrown at it. So t can you talk to us a little bit about that? I mean, you, you, you used, you know, things like Twitch, you used, uh, you, I mean, good old fashioned organizing is, is what you all did down there really. Yeah. Um, but what does it mean? What do you think it means for American politics that, um, that on the ground organizing and that thinking outside of the box 
you know, helped win a battle that truly was a, a David and Goliath battle. You know, if there ever was one, right? One there was some. Yeah. It definitely tell tell like us David, about that. It definitely feels like David and Goliath. It definitely feels like, you know, our little slingshot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Might have helped save yes. American democracy. Uh, it did. So thank you. Um, so one, people need to know that one billion U.S. dollars were spent in the nine weeks between the November general and the January runoff. I just did the conversion, so that's like seven hundred and twelve million pounds sterling. So I mean, in nine weeks, raised and spent <laughs> um, for two Senate seats. Um, I think that one, the balance of power for the United States Senate was was what was at stake. And so mm-hmm. Republican solution was to throw money at it because that is what they have. Um, and our solution was to throw people power at it because that's what we have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that at the end of the day, it comes down to um how many votes and who has more votes and whose votes get counted um yes. and so our focus every every legal vote i'm saying this is what i'm saying um and so there while there was a focus a laser like focus on messaging right messaging to as a part of like our plan to do popular education but also messaging as a plan to move people to act so that's step 1 messaging as a part of popular education because people are barely familiar with how elections work in the US in general so the idea that there was a runoff election a special election a by election um we would mm-hmm. go and knock on people's doors and be like I'm here to talk to you about the upcoming election etc and they'd be like oh baby I voted in November already Trump is gone hallelujah yes. and I'd be like yes, yes ma'am but <laughs> right so <laughs> yeah we needed to do ed- education first before anything, right? Secondly, we needed to make sure that we registered people to vote, that there was an opportunity for people who had missed the voter registration deadline to get registered. Um, And that was beautiful because tons of people um, have written off the Deep South as just deeply conservative and like, you're never going to win. Yeah, that, that sort of brings me to another question that came up for me. Like, I feel like donors, so in comparison to 2016, I think that donors had a consensus um, early on around Biden, right? I I think that a lot of the money, you disagree? Yeah. Really? Interesting. Okay. Well, then, okay. So here's what my question was going to be. I thought there was a consensus around Biden. I thought that, that, that PACs were starting to look that way. And I was wondering what, what of that money came to Georgia? Was there a difference? But you're saying there wasn't really, you know, I definitely, so what happens? Um, I think that, that the Sanders wing of the democratic party, the Elizabeth Warren wing of the democratic party legitimately held their own. Um, and that it yeah. was black voters in South Carolina that became yeah. a firewall 
for Biden, right? That yes, of- no, you're a hundred percent right. Yeah, um, that yeah, I guess. I guess I'm thinking like that feels early on compared to how long the battle went in 2016. Uh, But you're absolutely right in the context of this election. Yeah. it. I mean, South Carolina was the game changer. Absolutely. 100%. Um, Yes. Um, Yes. So, well, did you feel like more resource came to Georgia this, this election? Because Again, in 2016, it was like a million dollars spent in Texas, a million dollars sent to Georgia. Why? You know, and it was like, well, things are starting to change in Georgia. I don't know if that's the right. More resources did not come there. We didn't see as like we didn't see a huge spike in resources on the March to the November general. But on the March to the January um, runoffs, uh, yeah. That's when the floodgates opened, and it was like, wait a minute. So you yeah. guys were sitting on this cash all this time. <laughs> yeah, and that's the point I'm trying to get from you. Like, imagine, oh, I just imagine what can be done moving forward now. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, the, the, here's the challenge: that in order to win in a place like Georgia, you have to have black people, Latinos and Asian Americans and women at the center yeah. of your campaign plan. That's where you need to spend the bulk of your resources. Those are the people that need to be convinced of your candidate and the status quo. The defenders of the status quo are not used to coming to Black voters and Asian American voters mm-hmm. and begging for their votes and making the argument in front of them. And so what it takes to win in Georgia fundamentally looks different than what it takes to win across the country. And while, and the dominant parties, both of them rejected that, uh, to their to their own peril. So do not let anyone at all tell you that the Democratic Party won the election for Joe Biden in Georgia in November. Mm-hmm. That it was movement organizations that organized. There's movement organizations that raised the money. Um, it was movement yeah. organizations that have been pushing the narrative about the, America's multiracial democracy, right? Where progressive and moderate yeah. white folks get together with black and brown people and we stop fascism together and it was all powered by movement not the campaign yes yeah totally and and it's that movement that collective movement that again in my eyes you know toppled over the most infamous voter suppression laws in the united states I mean, no, the what laws was still on the books? Period. Point blank. Period. The laws are absolutely yeah. still in the books. A, B. Since the legislative session started about five weeks ago, they've introduced forty new laws. Yes. The only reason that we won in November and we won in January is that there was overwhelming participation, and we knew that, yes. that was it. That basically there was we overwhelmed the system that they could not steal it. They could not cheat because of the number of people, particularly Black people and young people, that we moved to vote in the election. Laws are still on the books, and they're trying to add more. 
And what coming on to that, what is the current situation with um, Brad Raffensperger investigating the New Georgia project? That was something that was happening in December, right? Yeah. And then he, they he launched some sort of. Go ahead. Sorry. What happened? Oh, they launched a new investigation into uh, New Georgia project and into me and into uh, our newly elected Senator uh, Warnock. Uh, they have not stopped. So he's not good at his job. And so, Brad. which is Brad. Yeah. Brad is not good at his job. <laughs> Brian's not good at his job. So when, um, you know, when the tapes came out with President Trump trying to yes. bully him into changing the election results, people were like, oh, he's a goddamn American hero. And he's yeah. like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not no. He's doing not at all. his job <laughs> and not even that well. <laughs> and then people would try to force me. I was doing press. There was like a solid two week run where people were like, "Oh, don't you want to congratulate Brad Raffensperger, your Secretary of State?" It was like, "Wait, you want me to congratulate him for not participating in a criminal conspiracy to steal the election?" Are you going to yeah. congratulate me for not robbing the bank? Yeah. Like, Because I did not do that today. I did not sell any drugs today. Are you going to congratulate me for that? Right? So get out of here. No. He is very much not good at his job. Uh, he just didn't want to get bullied by the president of the United States. And I think, see, because there was so much transparency like, and not on their part but visibility into the part we yeah. had 7500 volunteers monitoring yeah. at as many of the georgia's 2500 polling locations as possible as well yeah. as the counting locations and so they say democracy dies in the dark and we yeah. walked around with the brightest flashlights that we could find for the last yeah. three months of the year. And so it made it very difficult for them to steal the election. And again, we had overwhelming participation. That is why Bra uh, Brad rejected the president's advances uh, and his attempt to yeah. recruit him into his, again, criminal conspiracy. Um, yeah. But not because Bye. he's a democracy defender. Yeah. Bye, Brad. Bye. You don't get kudos for that. No. Um, I didn't punch I any babies like... today. I want my congratulations. <laughs> I want somebody to thank exactly. me. I need, I, I need all the op-eds. <laughs> Tell the world how, how awesome of a human being I am today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. 
acast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I mentioned to you before we started, I'm from California. And so is our new vice president, Madam Vice President, Kamala Harris. Um, there, there was a degree of um, skepticism around her as a candidate for president um, in, in a lot of the black communities, um, you know, in California, around Oakland and San Francisco. I speak to what I know. Those are the areas that I'm, you know, from. So I obviously know it was a wider issue mm-hmm. um, and communities of color and Um, I kind of, I I wanted to ask you sort of how, how did, was there a job in getting everyone behind her? What were the challenges and how do you, I I'm interested in how you kind of want to speak to that. There's like one, of course, there's one, you know, a bit of me that's like, oh my gosh, she's, I'm Indian. She's half Indian. Like it's a woman that looks like me is in the White House. I want to celebrate that. Um, but I'm also, you know, I find myself scrutinizing her record just like I do everyone else. But, of course, she's a woman, so she's going to be scrutinized even more. Yes. What was the job getting people behind her? And how do you feel about that? And, you know, are you celebrating like I am? But also there's a weird sort of apprehension I feel too. And I'm like, why do I feel that? I don't want to. Um, That was a lot of words. (laughs) (laughs) I understood the sentiment though. I struggled with it myself, but it was not a job at all, quite frankly, because what came out in the wash was that a lot of the anti uh, Kamala uh, sentiment, particularly expressed online was from bots and Poles and Russians and Republicans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and not that there weren't, (laughs) excuse me, and not that there weren't any like legitimate criticism, thank you, any legitimate criticism of her record as a prosecutor, et cetera, because there was, but the idea that it would be an issue was actually pretty gendered and racial and it was partisan. Yeah. That folks worked really hard to make it more of an issue um, than it actually was. I feel like the sort of woke elite amongst us, uh, the woke elite who spend day, like our time waxing poetic on uh, Twitter and on Facebook. Um, The woke elite definitely had a lot to say, but again, I think that what has come out um, in the aftermath of the election is that a lot of it was being pushed by the Trump campaign, by the Republican party and by bad actors, both foreign and domestic. Not to, I mean, absolutely. And I feel like there are as many people in Oakland who ride for Vice President Harris as those Mm -hmm. who were 
um, critical of her as a prosecutor. Um, and the truth of the matter totally. is, like, there isn't general consensus on defund the police. There isn't general consensus yeah. on the role of prosecutors. And so, yeah. Um, I think that, that we there still needs to be organizing around that question, but I think that the Republicans and the sort of media elite and the media establishment made it way bigger of a deal than it actually totally. was in the hearts and minds of um, of a- actual voters, right? Because let's be yeah, clear, yeah. Desi voters were never not going to vote for her, and Black women totally. voters in particular were never not going to vote for her. So... A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And, like, I remember reading, uh, you know, a senior advisors to Biden uh, are... Uh, you know, showing signs of, uh, you know, apprehension, him choosing her as the vice presidential candidate, because I think the quote was, she'll start to run for president the minute she's in office. And I remember reading that and thinking, so should she. Right, right. It's like, so did every other. dare you have ambition? Yes. dare you? Yes. And it took me. We got to. First of all, you need to be in the kitchen. I don't even know why we're hearing yeah. you talk publicly, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> it was so frustrating, and I realized that the apprehension that I that I felt, or the cautiousness that I felt, was actually like, "Is this really happening? Yeah, is it? It's really happening. Yeah, okay." Yeah. yeah. No, they're going to pull the rug at any minute. I know they are. I can't yes. let myself get too happy because too excited. America. Yes. Something fucked exactly. up is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And I think for that reason, I felt more nervous on Inauguration Day than I did on Election Day. Because mm-hmm. I was just like, is it happening? It reminded me of Inauguration Day in 2009 um, when mm-hmm. um, I haven't, mm-hmm. that was the last time I remember that feeling when uh, President yes. Obama and Mrs. Obama got out of their motorcade and like started walking. And I was like, yeah. what are you doing? Get back in the car. Yeah. Get like, in the car. Yeah. America. Like a sniper yeah. could be anywhere. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, but totally. it was right. That's how I felt. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, Cumberland, Doug, what the fuck? <laughs> I just got goosebumps as you were talking about recalling that moment, thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, we, we love our guns. Oh, God. I mean, one, Did you, oh. one point at which the rug could get pulled out is 2022, because of course the Republicans have a chance of flipping the Senate, very good chance. And they also probably have a chance of flipping the house, unfortunately, because they're Republicans um, and they can pull things out at election time, which you don't expect. So w- I want to ask what you think Democrats need to do in the next two years, policy wise, what you want to see from Joe and Kamala, because they may only have 18 months. So they definitely only have 18 months to make their case for why they should continue to have a governing majority. I think that as we head towards the 22 midterms, there needs to be a real conversation about electoral reforms. So um, pardon me, there's a bill called the For the People Act. And then there's the John Lewis Voting Rights Restoration Act. These two bills together, H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, um, would fundamentally restore the right to vote and 
and prevent states from passing bills um, that made it more difficult for their citizens to vote. And I think that that's the one thing that they could do to give themselves a fighting chance in 22 is to block at the federal level, all of the shenanigans that we're seeing at the state level, right? The restrictions on mm-hmm. vote by mail, the restrictions mm-hmm. on drop boxing, the restrictions on voter ID, <clears throat> the restrictions on weekend voting, the restrictions on early voting. All of that is designed to make it more difficult for people to vote. And if the Biden-Harris administration pushes it through on the federal level, on the congressional level, then they can beat back like the 40 bills that are being considered in places like Georgia and Arizona and Texas. That's number one. Number two, um, emergency relief for COVID. The number one message in the runoffs that we tested over and over again and what pe- what drove 80% of the people who voted in the November election to come back out and vote in January was the prospect of getting a Senate that could deliver COVID relief. One of our most successful hashtags and one of our most successful messages on the doors and on the text messages and on the phones was, Mitch better have my money, right? And so people uh, were talking about yeah. Um, and what can be done for American families who are suffering in this moment. Yo, half a million Americans are gone, right? Like gone. It's insane. Can you imagine? I can't believe we've crossed that. And I am waiting. I think in the last couple of weeks, I've definitely turned off the the Twitter in terms of like, you know, what the writer is saying. I just like don't need that for my well-being right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for them to start blaming Joe Biden and Kamala Harris for half a million Americans being dead. Right. I'm just going to be like, no, right. just no. And predominantly Kamala Harris, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's probably going to only be her fault. That's it. That's it. I'm sure. Um, But I think uh, passing the minimum wage, getting emergency COVID relief, um, the democracy reforms that we are needed to protect elections going forward um, could be a very good start. Oh, uh, student loan forgiveness. Um, so yeah. there has been talk about either 10k or fifty thousand uh, dollars, but something needs to happen on that front. We maintain that it's a racial justice issue as well as an economic justice issue. That um, poor kids, brown kids, are the ones who are forced to take out tons of loans, particularly yeah. black and brown women. Um, are the ones. So it's a gender justice, a racial justice issue, a class justice issue, um, and something needs to be done about it. And then lastly, um, immigration reform, right? That Mm -hmm. like making more permanent um, some of the uh, executive order uh, protections that have been given to particularly dreamers, right? So those are young, dreamers. Yeah, I was just gonna say young Americans who are undocumented and who came to the country were, you know, before they were 18, they came as children and they were undocumented. So the truth is that there is going to be very little appetite for excuses. Mm. And that the only, like yeah. the thing that's going to guarantee, not guarantee, but increase the likelihood that they hold on to power is if they get something done now with the power that yeah. they currently have. 
do, do you uh, so kind of two things here do you think how worth it do you think it is for democrats to reach across the aisle no and, and right but also do we do you worry i worry about the cultural divide the 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 hardening of the far right i mean i've seen even in the last couple of days the chat around like what if trump had his own party where the gop would um you know w- where they would place their votes a lot of republicans are still very much uh enamored with the idea of trumpism which I don't think is necessarily all of Republicanism, if you see what I mean. Um, I think about I think about a California Republican, and I think about a Georgian Republican, and there's there no there you don't think there's a difference. No, I mean, there, we have Devin Nunes, which is awful. Yeah, but I guess say, I can give you a list of trash ass California Republicans. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I know, I know. There is actually, there is actually. There's I no difference. My mind, and here's my I'm thing. Like... Here's my thing. You don't have to. <clears throat> you don't have to agree with Hitler, right? But if you vote for his yeah. agenda, how are you any different? Yeah. You're bringing the no, same amount of harm to our economy, to our our, mm-hmm. our, inf- our institutions, to actual people. Um, yeah. A and B, I don't think that it makes sense to make common cause with fascists, with terrorists, which is what they are. Yeah. Well, we constantly talk about not negotiating with terrorists. What the hell do you think these people are? Right? They yeah, they beat a man with an American flag to the point that he lost his eye. Several Capitol police officers lost their lives. Trump stood by and watched on a monitor. Five hundred thousand Americans are not here, right? Yeah, because they're dead. Five hundred thousand empty chairs uh, for the family reunion, for the holidays, right? From our schools, Um, like that. People have lost their lives. That this isn't an intellectual debate. This isn't, um, you know, we aren't waxing poetic that bipartisanship for its own sake is basically a a narrative that's being pushed by white supremacists and people who coddle white supremacists. Right. That bipartisanship is cool, but only in the in only in that it serves the interest of the people. These people are violent. They are vicious. They have stolen our money. They have stolen our inheritance. Mm-hmm. They have made us mm-hmm. less safe. Our the our air, the air that we breathe, the water that we yeah. drink, the water that yeah, all of yeah. that. Right? They pulled us out of the pl- the Paris Climate Accords because you didn't agree. They deny climate yeah. change to our own peril, Texas. Texas. Yes. Texas is I known know. for hundred degrees. That there were. Millions of Texans without power for seven days while their senator hopped on a plane to go to Cancun to hang out with his buddies and his friends from the HOA and then blamed it on his children. And here's the thing I thought. In my mind, as I was hearing the coverage, that his children were adults, that they were in their 20s. Baby, 10 and 12? 
Yes, yes. <laughs> that your 10 year old said, Daddy, I want to go to Cancun. Where, I, yeah, where do we need to go? Job. They don't need to go anywhere. Get out of here. Get out of here. No. I know. I no know. to bipartisanship well, for bipartisanship's sake. Sake. Yeah, totally. What and how how do you think? I mean, this is a huge question, and I'm conscious of time, but initial thoughts on, you know, what what the scale of the challenge that we have against, you know, the right wing media like Fox News and, um, you know, the One American Network and, you know, Trump, despite being deplatformed on Twitter, like he's very much around trying to do things um, and stirring it up. I told Joe I wouldn't swear. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't know that those were. The you know what? I, oh, I don't know. Did you swear? Oh, if you swore, then I'm swearing. Trump is stirring shit up still. So um, you know how how do we you know how do we begin to to um, to challenge that? How do we begin to challenge that messaging? How do we? What are your thoughts on that? You know, how do you begin to challenge? Um, I think a radical commitment to telling the truth, right? Like that, that is where we have to start. Lord knows. And and even when it's uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. we have to tell the truth. Like a lot of Mm -hmm. those folks storm the Capitol because they have been fed a steady diet of Trump lies and bullshit. They thought that the, so listen, I don't know if the Pizzagate guy just got out of prison, right? You remember that? Yes. Right. So there was on QAnon and all of these like um, websites that foment right-wing conspiracies that there was a belief that at Comet Pizza, which is an ordinary pizza parlor in Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C., a couple of blocks from the White House, that it was a pedophile ring, a ring of pedos, uh, and that they were holding children in the basement and that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and their friends would come and, like, abuse children in the basement. So what? One of these people who lived on these websites brought his gun and tried to shoot up and was like, where are the kids? Where are the kids? Fortunately, right, he was apprehended before anyone got hurt, before anyone lost their lives. But that was a lie that went unchecked that they kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. The the idea that Trump lost the election, like he filed and lost 60 lawsuits and the press kept covering it as if it were legitimate grievances. So they were a Mm -hmm. part of pushing the lie. I think that the way that we push back is the return to truth um, and that figuring... I think media literacy, digital media literacy is going to be super important. I think about Gen Mm -hmm. Z and the way that they are vulnerable to misinformation. And it's very different from the ways that, for example, baby boomers are vulnerable Mm -hmm. to misinformation. My mother's vulnerable to misinformation because, like, why would anybody lie? And if I don't forward this chain mail in five minutes... And there's not, there's going to be a pox on our houses and I'm not going to get, yeah. right. 
that young people, Gen Z and, and younger, are particularly vulnerable be, because they are digital natives, because they are digital citizens, and like they don't know a world um, without you know social media, etc. And so, thinking about digital media literacy, but also a radical commitment and return to truth um, by our institutions yeah. is the way. Like they don't represent them. We are the majority. America is a progressive. Yeah majority and people need to understand that and but we're not acting like it yeah but they cheat so, so much absolutely not, they cheat so much it's not reflected in the results of our elections sorry joe go ahead no i just wanted to oh, you mentioned um house resolution one house resolution four mm-hmm. and i'm interested to i want to try and ask two questions in one here i know the new georgia project does a lot on civic engagement you have the advocates for change institute yeah. which is fantastic um and i want to ask there's three senators out of 100, I think, I believe, who are Black, African-American senators. But yet 13.8 or 13.9% of the US population is Mm African-American. So, you know, a quarter or fifth of the representatives, African-American representatives that should be in the US Congress. In your opinion, does that come from, does does a change on that that issue come from House Resolution 1 and 4 and things like that and reducing the voter suppression and improving and cementing voting rights? Or do you think it comes from primarily from civic engagement or a combination of the two? I think it's a combination of the two. Um, I think that, you know, in a place like Georgia, Georgia should have had a black senator long before two months ago, right? (laughs) Like given the nature of the demographics in the state. Um, And I think because of voter suppression, like the vote has been suppressed for so long. Um, And so having HR1 and HR4 work to make our elections easier to participate in, um, to remove some of the barriers, the hurdles to participation, I think will mean that we will see a lot more young people, a lot more people of color showing up to vote and voting in our elections, running themselves. Um, I think the other thing is around sort of viability, like there's a belief that white people won't vote for people of color. Um, or that you need a majority of white voters in order to support, you know, your candidate, that somehow a person of color is a fringe candidate that like, and again, I remind Yeah, we see that here all the time. Right. That 71% of white Georgia voters voted for President Trump and he still lost. And so- Instead of thinking about like how to bring over white moderates, white conservatives, that the idea is how do I build this coalition? How do I get people excited? Um, I So here's the thing. <clears throat> I'm a Diet Coke drinker, right? Like I drink Diet Coke, I drink Coke Zero, whatever, trying to watch my figure. I will admit to you that regular Coke is better. It tastes better. Period. Like it just does. I feel like the same thing exists for in our politics that there are Democrats who try to like play the middle, right? And like, I'm going to do what I can. Or I would say, you know, um, maybe labor people who are trying to be like, I got a little Tory in me, right? So that people, mm-hmm. I appeal to everyone, right? That I'm, I'm the candidate that can vote for everyone. No. Tories don't want diet Tories. They don't want fake Tories. They want the real deal, right? Mm. Republicans don't want fake Republicans. They want the real deal. So people will hold their nose and vote for Trump 
because they identify as Republicans. So this moving yeah. to the middle middle crap as a way to try to appeal to everyone doesn't make sense. Who are you? What do you value? What do you stand for? And be honest about that and move in authenticity and people will respond to it. That's what Trump did. I agree with nothing, nothing that he's ever said or pushed for or legislated for. But he was he moved in authenticity, right? Like, this is who I am. I am here for millionaires and billionaires. Oh, the only the only thing of significance that they were able to pass in Congress under Trump's leadership was a trillion dollars, 1.9, almost two trillion dollars in tax cuts for the wealthiest Americans. That's it. That's the Mm -hmm. only thing that he was able to get done. So in his truth and in his authenticity, he told you who he was and who he was here to do work on behalf of. And that is what progressives need in this moment. Who are you? Who do you see as your people? Why are you here? What are you trying to get done? Do you feel that we saw that in Joe and Kamala? Um, yes, we did. I mean, they are not progressives, though. Uh, well, um, I mean, it's what it's questionable. I don't even know if they would call themselves progressives. Um, but they are authentic. Like Joe says, I want to restore the soul of the nation, I want to bring people back together. You know, like he's never said defund the police, he's not that guy, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think that they are in their authentic selves. Like I'm an almost 80 year old white dude uh, who's not racist, but like- Running against all another people. almost 80 year old white dude. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I promise I have different things to offer. Exactly. So um, yeah, I do think that they operate in their authenticity, which also means, which is why we have to continue to organize. You know, Joe Biden was never going to be in the basement uh, of the union hall with us thinking about how to work on the minimum wage campaign um, that he's going to be. But he's a much more amenable target than President Trump was. And so in terms of organizing against and the people on the other side of the table, I think that movement and progressives would much rather negotiate with Biden than Mm -hmm. Trump. Do you have time for one last very quick question, Ansel, or do you have to go? One last very Thank quick question. Thank you so much. Um, I think our listeners want to know from someone who's impacted so much positive change that everyone's seen around the world. We saw what you and the New Georgia Project did in November and January. What is one piece of advice that you would give to a budding organizer, to someone who wants to impact change in their community or their town, their country? What's the one piece of advice you would give them? Um, to find your movement home or your find your political home that that I know that there is a desire to identify like the superhero in every movie and in every story and that that's not how real change is won. That, um, you know, Martin Luther King says that the arc of the moral universe is long, but that it bends towards justice. So the work of organizing that we do is that's the work of bending the arc of the universe towards justice. Mm. But people forget that it's long. <laughs> it is long yeah. that there might be fights. There are fights that my parents are fighting that we're still fighting in the U.S. today, et cetera, et cetera. And that, um, 
you know, the God, I subscribe to the choir theory of organizing that when there are competing personal and professional obligations, um, that I can be reasonably assured that the work is going to continue. The meeting is still going to happen, even if I can't make it this month. And that everyone needs to find their political home. Everyone needs to find their organizing home. That there are people who share your values, care about the same things that you care about, and want to bring about the change that you seek. Um, so that's my one piece of advice. Oh my gosh. And say what an absolute privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you Amazing. so much. Thanks, y'all. Enjoy. I appreciate Good it. Good luck with everything and keep doing the hard work and you have some big fans over here. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.